Harry has Expelliarmus down, but does he know Excel? You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for resume patters. Well, Potter, this meeting is to talk over any career ideas you might have and to help you decide which subjects you should continue into sixth and seventh years. Have you had any thoughts about what you would like to do after you leave Hogwarts? Well, I thought of maybe being an Auror. You'd need top grades for that. It's a difficult career path, Potter. They only take the best. In fact, I don't think anybody has been taken on in the last three years. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And hello! We are still reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. There are about four more episodes of Order left, so we're almost through it. Well, kind of. That's still several. About a month. Ugh, it's long as fuck. Phoenix content. Uh, Mostly I'm just stressed out all the time. (laughs) This week we are reading the chapters called Career Advice and Grop. In this podcast, you will hear spoilers and cursing galore. You will also hear some adult themes, as usual. This week's adult themes are younger siblings, career fairs, draining the swamp, herd behavior, and dropping out of school to found a startup. So, Alex, tell us what happened this week. In this week's chapters, Harry is feeling super depressed about what he saw in Snape's memories in the Pensieve. He's wishing that he could talk to Sirius in order to put his mind at ease about whether his father was a good person or not. Ginny notices that something is off with Harry and asks him about it. Because she has emotional intelligence. Yeah. (laughs) And, of course, he tells her, so she... She tips off friend George that Harry really wants to talk to Sirius, so they offer to create a diversion so that Harry can sneak into Umbridge's office and use the fire phone to talk to Sirius about a non-emergency matter. In the meantime, everyone has to meet with their head of house to talk about their future career plans. There are all these flyers going around the school from various ministry agencies uh, talking about different jobs that you can apply for after Hogwarts. So Harry books some time with Professor McGonagall. So when Harry meets McGonagall, he sheepishly tells her that that he thinks he'd like to become an Auror someday. Also, Umbridge is there scratching on her clipboard and being generally terrible and pretending to cough a lot the way Umbridge does. Uh, McGonagall tells Harry it's super hard to become an Auror. You have to have top marks in many subjects, including potions, which Harry uh, not so good at. Umbridge eventually cuts in and says that Harry will never become an Auror because he has a criminal record. This gets McGonagall's hackles up, and she tells him that Harry has been cleared of all charges. Umbridge repeats that Harry will never become an Auror. McGonagall then lowers the boom on Umbridge and says, Harry will become an Auror if I have to tutor him every night for the rest of his time at Hogwarts. She says, if it's the last thing I do. If it's the, yeah, <laughs> if it's the last thing I do. So that, that doesn't really shut Umbridge down. 
Harry leaves and he can hear them still yelling at each other. But then when he logs on to LinkedIn, he sees that McGonagall has endorsed him for Expelliarmus and Defense Against the Dark Arts. Expelliarmus is actually like the wizarding version of proficient in Microsoft Word. You don't really have to put that on your resume. During whatever commotion Fred and George are causing, Harry sneaks into Umbridge's office, sticks his head in the fireplace, uh, which is a really weird physical sensation. Seems like it actually would just be easier to use a telephone. But hey, telephones don't work in Hogwarts. Uh, so the fire it is. Luckily, someone is home <laughs> when Harry calls. Not uh, just home, but in the kitchen, in the sitting kitchen. by the fire. I know. Uh, Lupin is there. He goes and gets serious. Harry asks them about what he saw in Snape's past. They say, uh, you know, everyone, like, does things they maybe regret when they're 15. So that was worth... Uh, breaking into the headmistress's office for. Harry is nearly caught, but luckily he brought his invisibility cloak, throws it over himself. Filch is very excitedly going through Umbridge's files, looking for a form she signed, allowing him to whip students. It turns out that Filch and Umbridge have caught Fred and George red-handed, creating a swamp on the fifth floor of the East Wing. Filch is preparing to deal out some good old-fashioned corporal punishment when Fred and George announce that they will not be sticking around Hogwarts to face the consequences for their actions. Instead, they are going to go into business. They raise their wands in the air, shout Asio brooms. Their brooms burst through the door of Umbridge's office with the chains dangling behind them. She had chained them to the wall, but apparently this was easily foiled by a summoning spell. They grab the brooms, say, hasta la vista, baby, or whatever. Do they have a catchphrase? They're just like, later. But before leaving, Fred and George announce that they have official premises, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes, which you can find on Diagon Alley. Basically, this has all been a viral marketing stunt. They <laughs> mount their brooms, tell Peeves, give Umbridge help for us. Peeves salutes and they fly off into the sunset. Uh, besides leaving a portable swamp in their wake, they leave Hogwarts in a state of basically advanced anarchy. They've inspired every trickster in the school to try to emulate the Weasley legacy, so Umbridge is having a very hard time keeping things under control. What all happens? Just like... <laughs> Umbridgeitis, which is like the best thing. They're all. Oh, yeah! I forgot about this part. Everybody comes down with Umbridgeitis, which basically everyone is just constantly pounding, skiving snack boxes to get out of classes. So Umbridge is greeted with an entire class of like vomiting, feverish students uh, every hour, which is like revolting, but also hilarious. There's so many dung bombs that like, <laughs> people have to wear the bubble oh, head yeah, charm. Oh yeah, they put the bubble head charm on them. Uh, everything about this scene is glorious. Anyway, uh, it's time for Quidditch again. It's the final match of the season. It's Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. The House Cup, not the House Cup. The Quidditch Cup is on the line somehow because points. 
Um, Did Slytherin lose to Hufflepuff? Yes, because Slytherin. Marcus. Montague. Or Montague yeah. was stunned from living in a toilet for like a week or whatever. <laughs> Uh, anyway, somehow Gryffindor is still in contention, but Hermione and Harry are taken out of the stands by Hagrid, who's got something that he needs to show them in the Forbidden Forest. And Hagrid says that now is the only time he can show them. So Harry and Hermione reluctantly follow Hagrid into the forest while everyone else is distracted with the game. He takes them deeper into the forest than Harry has possibly ever been and shows them but 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 motherfucking Grop, Hagrid's not so little younger brother, a giant from Giant Town. Giant, yeah, Giant Land, uh, I think the Caucasus that Hagrid is brought back because he was being bullied by the other giants for being too little. So Hagrid, anticipating that he's going to be fired by Umbridge, asks Hermione and Harry if they can come and talk to Grop every now and then in the forest. Grop doesn't seem too interested in this plan. He mostly is pulling trees up from the roots. And he tries to, like, grab Hermione, and I he's mostly very menacing. Is menacing the right word? No, he's just, like, out of control. He doesn't know his own strength. So, mystery solved. That's the reason Hagrid has been constantly bleeding and bruised all year long. Harry, of course, promised Hagrid that he would do whatever Hagrid asked before finding out what the favor was. That that That's your first mistake, uh, Harry. But, uh, so they leave the forest, but not before encountering the centaurs, who are super fucking pissed still about Ferenzi leaving and teaching kids at Hogwarts all their secrets about, like, Mars being bright. They only let Hagrid pass because they won't kill Foles' kids. So that was another close scrape. As Hagrid, Harry, and Hermione emerge from the Forbidden Forest, they hear the chants of Weasley is our king. Harry groans, knowing that it must mean that Gryffindor has lost the match and is now being taunted by the Slytherins. But then, slowly, it dawns on both of them that the Gryffindors are singing. They're singing Weasley is our king. He didn't let the Quaffle in. And they see Ron Weasley being triumphantly hoisted aloft carried by a group of cheering Gryffindors with the Quidditch Cup. Gryffindor won the match. Somehow, Ron was able to keep it within 150 points to allow Ginny to catch the snitch. So, a true underdog story. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. So, listening to these chapters this morning, we both listened to them on audiobook because we're doing this. We're, like, recording midweek, so we... Whatever. You don't need to know this. You don't need to know the like details of our To good habits. advantage of our commuting time. <laughs> yeah, basically we both listened to this on the subway. And I was like shaking. These chapters are so fucking stressful. Nobody is making okay choices. <laughs> like what is everyone up to? We are totally losing the thread here. Mostly like... We're going to talk about this in more detail, but I didn't remember the outcome of his ill-conceived plan to sneak into Umbridge's office. So I was like 
live texting Alex. Like, <laughs> for real, you have to tell me what happens at the end of this chapter because I don't remember and I'm freaking out. What are these people doing? I refuse to spoil it for you. You did, which is so funny because, like, you're you're spoiling, like, a book I've read, like, five times and I just could not, I could not for the life of me remember how this encounter ends. And it ends okay for the only time in this entire book. It turns out okay-ish. Although I think it sets him up for like problems like down the line. Like I think she eventually figures it out or something. But again, I don't remember because I don't know. My memory is really bad. Yeah, you think the fire would have like a call log or something. I don't know. But it's like not being tracked. So I guess not. But anyway, mostly I just wanted to start this episode conversation by saying like, what is everybody doing? <laughs> Just get a grip, you guys. Like, chill. Ugh. All right. Maybe this topic will relax you. Job interviews. Oh, yeah. Super chill. I guess Very it's not really relaxing. a job interview, but like... It's like a career fair. Yeah, a career fair. Well, I don't fancy healing, said Ron on the last evening of the holidays. He was immersed in a leaflet that carried the crossed bone and wand emblem of St. Mungo's on its front. It says here you need at least an E at any WT level in potions, herbology, transfiguration, charms, and defense against the dark arts. I mean, blimey. Don't want much, do they? Well, it's a very responsible job, isn't it? said Hermione absently. She was poring over a bright pink and orange leaflet that was headed... So you think you'd like to work in muggle relations? You don't seem to need many qualifications to liaise with muggles. All they want is an OWL in muggle studies. Much more important is your enthusiasm, patience, and a good sense of fun. You'd need more than a good sense of fun to liaise with my uncle, said Harry darkly. Good sense of when to duck, more like. He was halfway through a pamphlet on wizard banking. Listen to this. Are you seeking a challenging career involving travel adventure and substantial danger-related treasure bonuses? Then consider a position with Gringotts Wizarding Bank, who are currently recruiting curse breakers for thrilling opportunities abroad. They want a rithpancy, though. You could do it, Hermione. I don't much fancy banking, said Hermione vaguely, now immersed in have you got what it takes to train security trolls. I think it's so funny that the wizarding parallel to this is just as much of an afterthought as career day in like many, many high schools. At least when I was growing up, it was very much like, oh yeah, also you're going to need to work for the rest of your life for a living. This is only... And they just have like pamphlets everywhere. <laughs> like there's just like stacks of like random pamphlets in the library. Hermione's like reading every single one and it's like you're not interested in any of these jobs and she's like everybody's just like completely randomly like grabbing into the center of the stack of flyers. Just like, "Huh, I wonder if I want to be like in charge of like a troll security training like center." Imagine what wizard sex ed is like if this is uh the attention that's being paid to career development. I don't think they have sex ed. There's no evidence to suggest that so far. Yeah, and they don't seem to have any kind of like health or biology or like human 
I don't know. I don't think we can get all the way down this road, but like you're right. They're just, <laughs> they're not paying like, much attention to anything. Here is a flyer from the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes, <laughs> which is who I imagine is in charge that. of. No, it's probably St. Mungo's. You know, it's, it's healthcare. Sort of. I don't know in the Wizarding World, but it is. Yeah, I have no idea. It is interesting to learn that there is, in fact, some post secondary training. Yeah, in- for aurors and healers have to go through pretty rigorous it sounds like a lot of apprenticeships professions it's not really even apprenticeships like they have to go through like a training facility but it seems like run through whoever is hiring you there doesn't seem to be like there's not like a wizard university but it's like the police academy right which is like more than an apprenticeship now that I would watch a spinoff of. Oh, yeah. Auror Academy. (laughs) Hell yeah, I would watch that. Or just a procedural about the Aurors. All of these different careers. Healing is actually the most similar to muggle medicine. Like, the way they described healing made a lot more sense to me. They have to basically go to medical school. But the other careers, like banking, (laughs) is not like Goldman. Banking is being Indiana Jones. Yeah. They shouldn't even call it banking. They should call it treasure hunting. Tomb raiding, yeah. basically. Only the goblins get to actually do the math, basically. Yeah, which like we've talked about how that's problematic. <laughs> There's literally like extreme danger bonuses for like robbing tombs that have like ancient curses on them or something. Okay, wizards, there's an easier way to do this. The goblins should clue the wizards in about fucking compounding interest it seems like in order to generate new wealth they literally have to go steal it from pyramids oh yeah we've talked about this the only way they can create wealth is literally getting more physical artifacts of value they need more fiat currency they do it's true (laughs) muggle relations is like this very like patronizing like kind of job for like softies it's like you don't really need any training you need to have taken muggle studies you don't even need to have done well in it you need like an o (laughs) and or no i guess not an o you need like a meets expectations and you need a sense of fun like muggles are these like sweet like buddies that you're gonna just like figure out how to like chat with them it's the fallback job yeah uh which doesn't actually make sense This seems to be one of the most important jobs in the wizarding world because what does the ministry do if not keep tags on muggles? And hide shit from them. The whole point of the Ministry of Magic is keeping up with the statute of secrecy. Right, which requires understanding like how muggle society functions and like how to like blend in with it. Muggle relations is the most important job in the wizarding world. But here you've got fucking Arthur Weasley. He doesn't even know what a plug does. I know, because they don't require muggle studies, which is really (laughs) stupid. You should absolutely require muggle studies. Because like, yeah, in order to maintain secrecy, you have to understand like what will clue muggles in that something's weird. Like they have to understand what about the wizarding world will be like suspicious to muggles, which none of them do. Arthur can't say the word electricity. And they're like, what if And I... he like liaises with muggles regularly. I know. It's I mean, I know it's like like a it's, funny joke. It's mostly yeah, it's mostly a bit, but it doesn't make the most sense no it really doesn't but it works here it does also 
none of these jobs are in the private sector. These are all public sector jobs. Maybe St. Mungo's is like public private. Maybe there's like a defense contractor that does the security troll thing. Uh, yeah, but even that know. seems like a like a subcontract with the government. Like it, none of it seems like purely private industry. Banking is attached to the ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Or at least have I don't know. Banking is like complicated because there's this whole goblin. But element of the it. wizard in government like regulates goblins like there's a regulation and control mm, yeah, right. of like the existence of goblins which is like fucked up in its own way but I think it's all at best like public private partnerships and I'm not like a huge like everything should be privatized person like far from it you need some you- private industry yeah we've kind of talked about this before about how it's this very about how there's not much economic dynamism in the wizarding world. And it's very, like, centrally planned, yeah. too. It's just, like, not... I mean, we it's, get- like, capitalist, but also sort of, like, weirdly, like, feudalist. Like, I don't really know what their economy would be called, even. Like, it's capitalist because it's, like, you pay for goods. Right. And, like, make money at jobs. So, yeah, it's capitalism, but, like, I don't know. It's It's... Bizarre. I feel like we get very neoliberal when we talk about wizarding economics, but well, I mean, because it's it doesn't not like, seem to be working that well for them. It's not really socialism either. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just like badly managed capitalism. <laughs> it's like capitalism for people that have never learned math, so they don't understand that their economic system is nonsense. The only private industry that we're really exposed to is... Are the shops on diagonal? Yeah, like small business shopkeeping and like restaurant. Presumably, there's some magical factory out there making cauldrons because they regulate they that. They regulate the shit out of cauldrons. But they're a co- one thing that's cool about their economy, I guess, it is mostly like artisan based. Like it isn't, it definitely isn't like a manufacturing economy, which I guess there's like pluses and minuses to that because that creates a lot of jobs. But most of their goods seem to be, like, made by, like, small-scale artisans. Yeah, except you would think that would mean that there's more competition. But Olivander, I went on a tweet storm about this in the last uh, two weeks. Check it out, twitter.com slash Podcast. Olivander seems to have a monopoly. Well, so does Madame Malkins. Like, each of those shops seems to be the only one of its kind in Britain. Are these state-granted monopolies? Yeah, I don't know. It's, okay, we're gonna, like, really devolve this. I mean, not devolve, but, like, we could talk about this for hours. I do want to get back to... This could be why there's so much wizard inequality. There's no opportunities for... Actually, no, this probably is why there's so much wizard inequality. There are no other opportunities in the private sector for Arthur Weasley to go take his skills to therefore he has no bargaining power with the ministry of magic yeah it's true there's no reason that they should pay him anymore because there's not something that he could go do otherwise no it's a big problem yeah i'm Um, not a privatized everything guy but there needs to be more competition in the wizarding world but there are definitely ways in which a wizarding economy could be like really fascinating and run really well and this is just not it I know that that's not what these books are about. So like it's fine that she just sort of like had sort of like bad wizard capitalism and their professions seem really limited 
and mostly public sector and not super well paid. They don't seem like they're that well prepared for the workforce. No, it is interesting that, you know, we talked about they get some post-secondary training. It's really like Hogwarts, it turns out, in sixth and seventh year gets really competitive really suddenly, Mm -hmm. which is funny because they have not been preparing students for that fact at all. Like, this is the first time we find out that you have to score a certain level in your classes in order to even continue taking them so like and it's weird also that there's no standardization across like professors so Flitwick you can like be like fine at charms and like take advanced charms but like Snape takes only like excellent students so like you could just end up with like not enough credits to graduate probably if you just have like (laughs) regular grades and like no one has told them that yet So the other question I have is like, if you're like, oh, I want to be like, like a muggle relations liaison or whatever, do you just not have to take any classes after fifth year? Because like, if you don't have to take advanced potions or you don't have to take advanced transfiguration or whatever, like, why would you? God, I would have ended up as a muggle relations liaison, wouldn't I? I don't know. You're incredibly smart. Yeah, but I didn't take like anything my senior year of high school. Yeah, you Wait, also got really mixed grades. I took a lot of electives, a lot of choir, band, theater. None of which wizards have. I did not take calculus or physics. That was a mistake. I would have been a good wizard, maybe. Well, yeah, they don't learn math or science. Yeah. So in that way, you would have <laughs> Which done I regret, and that's why I'm reading about dinosaurs now. I'm making up for lost time. That's not quite the same as physics, but like, okay. Uh, you need physics to be a dinosaur. <laughs> what? You need physics to be a dinosaur is one of the weirdest things you've ever... I mean, I guess you need physics to be a person, too. I don't know. Physics are involved. There's like... Okay, I learned in my dinosaur book that something about the density of the skeletons and you know what? I'm not going to be able to reproduce this. That's also, also not physics. This is not what this podcast is about. No. <laughs> Alex's dinosaur strike podcast. Strike this. I'm incompetent when it comes to talk about science. That's okay. Because I'm not I didn't, great at it. Because I didn't take physics. See, I don't even know what physics is about. It might be about dinosaurs. <laughs> it's about like the behavior of Motion. matter. Yeah. Yeah. So in this career scene, amidst all the madness of career day. McGonagall and Umbridge have this like epic showdown and I was just cheering for McGonagall. This is one of Umbridge's, I I don't know, everything Umbridge does is cruel. Like she's never not having a cruel moment. It's so cruel to be sitting here shitting all over what Harry wants to do. Okay, but counterpoint. Right. Is Harry in fact qualified to be an Auror? At this point, really, really not. Right. Regardless of whether Umbridge is sitting in that room, McGonagall is rattling off all of the things that you have to do to be accepted into Aura training. And uh, Harry is uh, not on track. No, he's a middling student at best. And you have to be like top of your class to be an Auror. The crazy thing is that fucking Ron ends up able to do this job and that guy's a moron if anything harry should be exploring professional quidditch opportunities he seems to be good enough and that seems to be one of the only private sector jobs you can get i wonder how much they make i wonder if it's like more like i don't know never mind probably enough i have no idea i don't have a sense of that i mean 
fucking Ludo Bagman has to like take like a kind of sad government job. Yeah, after like, he's retired because he has a gambling problem. That's true. He does, but he does, as far as we can tell, he doesn't like retire with millions. Yeah, because he lost it all to goblins. He's probably yeah. dead now. I think Ludo Bagman is probably dead. Or he's in a he's in a vault at Gringotts somewhere. He's just or, stuck not, not in him. one of those. His vaults. skeleton is. That's true. Yeah, it's bomb to watch Umbridge and McGonagall go at it, and McGonagall defending Harry is very touching. But it's funny because McGonagall was basically just telling Harry, like, <laughs> okay, buddy, but, like, you are going to have to do everything really differently to have this <laughs> yeah. job. And then she's like, I'll make sure you have this job if it's the last thing I do. So you can see how much she hates Umbridge. Um, and she's right, but... Well, we do know that Harry does go on to become an Auror. So he, I guess, works really hard, or they like grandfather him I in because he's fucking Harry Potter. I think he gets a Harry Potter exception. I think so too, because <laughs> he also doesn't go like to school his seventh year. You need to get an outstanding in potions or single handedly defeat the Dark Lord. He does not single handedly do shit. Oh, yeah, fair point. Okay, moving on. This. I could talk about wizard careers forever, to be honest. Keep going. No, it's okay. What else do you want to say? No, go I'm ahead. Not, nothing. I have nothing. I, I'm good. I would just be rambling about the private sector. Yeah. God, I sound like it does turn us into like neo. It turns us shills. into neoliberals. I know it does. Well, mostly it's like whatever. We already said this, but it's not that I necessarily demand that they be capitalists. It's just if they're going to be, they should do it better. Yeah, I, I mostly think. Uh, you can't have your economy overbalanced in one direction or the other. Yeah. You agreed. know, there's a role for a robust public and private sector in the wizarding world. But it seems like the public part is crowding out the private. Well, the other problem with this particular public sector is that it seems really corrupt. Right. So it's like not a public sector that's like really serving the people very effectively. So you don't want that to be where most of the economic like opportunity is because it's like not creating equitable opportunities. You can buy influence, like you can buy power as Lucius Malfoy has taught us. So like it'd be one thing if it was a public sector that was like serving the public good in a way that it could really demonstrate, but it clearly isn't. So having all of the jobs be public sector means that you're like all working in like a really corrupt kind of broken system. Yeah, it's kind of funny because these books are such liberal totems, but a lot of the messages around the role of government are like fairly, they read a little conservative, like she's skeptical of big government. Well, yeah, and she's skeptical of government's ability to like serve people effectively. Right. Which You're is right. which is a fairly that is which is a fairly conservative message. Um, she's like anti-fascist, but that doesn't mean that she's like. But the the ministry's not fascist. It's no, just exactly. sort of a bloated bureaucracy. Exactly. Which um, you're right. No, they're not. They're not actually particularly like leftist tomes. They're uh, <laughs> they're financially conservative and socially progressive. Ugh, shoot me. <laughs> so then there's this like thing with Sirius that like my hackles are so raised that I've like gone around the bend to just like exhaustion. This is the stupidest thing that Harry does in these books. Like the actual worst idea. 
Harry Potter and the worst idea. For one thing, Harry, wouldn't it be convenient if you like had a way, just like at your disposal, to like see when Umbridge was coming back? Like wouldn't it be sweet if you had a kind of sense in general of like where everyone in the castle was so you could kind of like track how close she was to returning? Oh fucking wait. <laughs> you do. Where the ever-living fuck is the Marauder's map in this scene? At least he's smart enough to bring the invisibility cloak. Okay. Because he often leaves that behind as well. But like... Just keep that shit in your pocket, He's man. like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be able to like just sense somehow that someone's coming into this office. And it's like, bro, to coin a phrase, we have the technology. <laughs> okay. And just the amount... I mean, Hermione makes so many good points. She's like, literal Albus Dumbledore just sacrificed himself so you didn't get expelled. You are such a tool shed for putting yourself in danger like a week later. Yeah, uh, he must be really, he's really upset, but this plan doesn't make much sense. It's just so reckless. And Harry is reckless, but this is bad. And he even talks himself out of like backing down from this plan. At one point he's like, I could just like go back up to the common room and like be done with today. And then he's like, no, I have to ask serious questions about my mean dad. (laughs) When he had finished, Neither Sirius nor Lupin spoke for a moment. Then Lupin said quietly, I wouldn't like you to judge your father on what you saw there, Harry. He was only fifteen. I'm fifteen, said Harry heatedly. Look, Harry, said Sirius placatingly, James and Snape hated each other from the moment they set eyes on each other. It was just one of those things. You can understand that, can't you? I think James was everything Snape wanted to be. He was popular. He was good at Quidditch, good at pretty much everything. And Snape was just this little oddball who was up to his eyes in the dark arts. And James, whatever else he may have appeared to you, Harry, always hated the dark arts. Yeah, said Harry, but he just attacked Snape for no good reason, just because, well, just because you said you were bored. He finished with a slightly apologetic note in his voice. I'm not proud of it, said Sirius quickly. Looping looked sideways at Sirius and then said, Look, Harry, what you've got to understand is that your father and Sirius were the best in the school at whatever they did. Everyone thought they were the height of cool. If they sometimes got a bit carried away... If we were sometimes arrogant little burks, you mean, said Sirius. Lupin smiled. What do you think of their answers? What do you think of their answers? I mean, what were they going to... They weren't going to trash James... Are you arguing in favor of these answers? No, I, I just, uh, what were they going to say? I don't know. They could have said that they were, like, deeply sorry for their truly abominable behavior as young people. Yeah. They basically say, like, boys will be boys, which is despicable. Remus kind of cops to being complicit in some bad behavior. But, like, he But he they are kind it. of chuckling at the memories of it. Yeah, he frames it as sort of, like, high-spirited, fun, bad behavior. Right. And I feel like Harry's getting really, like, gaslit in this scene because they're sort of managing to convince him that, like, oh, you know, like, Snape was, like, kind of annoying and, like, James just, like, 
blew off steam and it wasn't like as big a deal as it looked like and like you saw it out of context and Lily like definitely didn't hate James she just like was like mad at the time and you know he was 15 and at one point Harry goes I'm 15 and it's like the implication there is like I know better than this right I'm 15 and I have never treated anyone this way Although he does like sectum sempra Draco in the next book, so Harry makes some choices too. Well, you know, he also doesn't, we'll get into that when we get into that. Don't they at one point say whatever else is wrong with your father, he never was in for the dark side or whatever? Something Did they like say that? that. They say something to the effect of, you know, no matter no matter what your father's faults are, he never had anything to do with the dark side which is like a really low bar that is a really low bar and if anything these books are about how that's not enough you also have to be a good person yeah i really don't think that any of these fellas get a pass and i think that their excuses are really shoddy and i was deeply unimpressed with all of their behavior in this scene and they do they laugh at the memory and the other thing is like they don't really take harry's like alarm very seriously like they don't treat his emotions with a lot of care because Harry's like clearly like deeply freaked out because he has made this horrible decision to like just chat this out also neither of them neither of them respond with yo what the fuck all the fires are tapped (laughs) yeah neither of them is like honestly go back to your fucking room how are you talking to us right now they're just like oh hang on i'll go get him time for a stroll down memory lane sirius is like i'm gonna come get snape again and it's like can you listen to yourself for a minute i don't know the marauders i don't love them i'm not crazy about them but always the map always have that um it's like their great contribution to wizard kind is that map but even the map's, like, mean. <laughs> uh, yes, I would rather hang out with the Golden Trio than the Marauders on any day of the week. Also, the Marauders lack a girl, which makes a big difference. Yeah, I think it does. Lily was never, like, in the group. No. She was she one was of the like, wags at the end. She was a wag, yeah. exactly. Which is sad because Lily seems great. Um, and she could have knocked some sense into them, Hermione style, but they like don't listen to anybody. Yeah. But, like I like Ron better than I like the Marauders at this point. I like Remus. I do too. I do too. I like Ron a lot better than I like James and Sirius. Yeah. I And you love Ron. Oh yeah, Ron's my fave. No, Ron's like whatever, he's growing on me, but mostly because he's not really in this book, so I just forget how much he bugs me. um one thing that i have learned about myself is i actually like almost hate Sirius. that's like a unpopular harry potter opinion but i am i am sad for harry when Sirius bites the dust i don't like him very much Mm, i think this book nicely complicates him that's fair yeah he whatever he's just not He's not really going out in a blaze of glory here, but how could he? His life is horrible. Speaking of blazes of glory, though, let's talk about Fred and George's epic, how should we describe this? Um, I don't know, departure. Fred and George's... Grand escape. Grand escape, epic send-off. This and what follows are one of my 
favorite set pieces so far in these books. I don't have much more to say about it than that, but uh, when they turn the corridor into a swamp and then summon their brooms and ride off into the literal sunset, being saluted by Peeves, who doesn't respect anyone, I I just think that I laughed out loud. I think that is so glorious. Yeah, this is one of my favorite scenes in the books. (laughs) Because it's this incredible combination of just absolute chaos and like true good heartedness like they have bestowed such a profound gift upon their fellow students in this moment (laughs) they're not they're not taking anything away from the hogwarts student body they're you know like we got an email a while back that was kind of like friend george are kind of dicks because they're like really disruptive and like make it really hard to learn but i think that's because in the movie they do this during exams, which mm. is rude. Right. And a really bad change on the part of the movie because it like it does make them seem like they don't really care that much about their fellow students. But in this moment, they're just like, we bestow upon you all the tools you need to like survive this horrible year. We are conquering heroes and you shall never be without us. It's just that they're just like... <laughs> He's just like shining nights of like total anarchy. And I love it, love it, love it. I, I like that, yeah, the stuff of Hogwarts legend, like immediately almost up there with Harry Potter himself, I think, in terms of. Oh, yeah. And they usher in a truly glorious Hogwarts era of just utter chaos. The Hogwarts student body responds to this charge with such gusto and um, just, like, greatness. The image of Filch ferrying people across the swamp is hysterical. It is. It is. And, yeah, people having to, like, put their bubble heads on so that they don't smell the dung bombs, but, like, they do it really (laughs) good-naturedly. And uh, Flitwick and McGonagall and a couple of the other teachers are clearly capable of clearing the swamp, and they just are like, oh, I didn't know if I, like, had permission. Like, ooh. Umbridge brought in to drain the swamp, but... uh, Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. Wow. Umbridge-itis is hysterical. All the kids... And she cannot figure out how they're making themselves sick. And it's just so funny that it's just this like school-wide conspiracy and it works. It drives her batty. (laughs) It's so excellent. And she's just like totally losing control. And I really like that J.K. Rowling genuinely loves this kind of like youthful rambunctiousness. Yeah. And finds it funny. This is when you know that JK truly like believes in the youth mm-hmm. because she has no sort of like grown up like chastising kind of like tisk tisk for kids like making mischief hard. <laughs> she thinks it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, I agree. And finally, going back to the theme of just shockingly bad choices, let's just spend a minute on our friend Grop. Yeah, it's a big problem. That's a literal big problem. (laughs) This book is doing the most at this point. Yeah, among other things, I just don't think we need this plot point. I remember when I first read this book thinking something similar. 
I was like, this book's already kind of long, and uh, <laughs> now just, we've got a giant to contend with. It, um, yeah, it's just really excessive. It's like out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere. It's been heavily foreshadowed. I know, but like it doesn't really play a part in the rest of the plot. Like it's been foreshadowed, but not in a way that felt like consequential. Hagrid's just been like all fucked up the whole book. Which he doesn't need to be. Like it just doesn't seem to have any resonance with any of the other plot points. It's like kind of about family. But even that feels kind of like shoehorned in. Yeah, I guess they use Grop against Umbridge in the end. But there's like a gajillion options for that scene. Right. Like Aragog could have eaten her. (laughs) This is basically Aragog redux. Right. But like with like... Some, like, sort of sentimental... But that's sentimental, too. Like, Hagrid loves Aragog Mm -hmm. and doesn't understand how dangerous he is. The whole thing. Yeah, Hagrid has some giant fucking beast in the Forbidden Forest. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much we need Grop. Uh, I'd be interested to hear... I'm sure Grop has his defenders, though. So, convince us. Yeah, it just... It's, like, really forgettable, too. Like, it just... It doesn't... It never stands out to me as interesting at all. And a lot of things in this book are really, really, really interesting and fun. Or not fun, but like kind of worth getting into. And Grop is just like, ugh, this is like another thing that we sort of have to deal with. Like I feel as a reader, like I'm kind of dealing with it. feel like I'm back in Goblet of Fire. Yeah, kind of. This is a goblet move. It is. It's just, it is doing the most. You want us to teach him... Harry said in a hollow voice. He now understood what Ferenzi's warning had meant. His attempt is not working. He would do better to abandon it. Of course, the other creatures who lived in the forest would have heard Hagrid's fruitless attempts to teach Grawp English. Yeah, even if you just talk to him a bit, said Hagrid hopefully. Because I reckon if he can talk to people, he'll understand more that we all like him really and want him to stay. Harry looked at Hermione, who peered back at him from between the fingers over her face. Kind of makes you wish we had Norbert back, doesn't it? He said, and she gave a very shaky laugh. You'll do it then, said Hagrid, who did not seem to have caught what Harry had just said. We'll, said Harry, already bound by his promise. We'll try, Hagrid. I knew I could count on you, Harry. Hagrid said, beaming in a very watery way and dabbing at his face with his handkerchief again. And I don't want you to put yourself out too much, like, I know you've got exams. If you could just nip down here in your invisibility cloak maybe once a week and have a little chat with him, I'll wake him up then, introduce you. What? No, said Hermione, jumping up. Hagrid, no, don't wake him. Really, we don't need... But Hagrid had already stepped over the great trunk in front of them and was proceeding toward Grawp. This is so unfair of Hagrid. This is a thing that I kind of hate when she does because I really love Hagrid. And when he does stuff like this, it's just like so, it's like not unkind, but intent sort of doesn't matter here because he's fucking them over. Even if he's, like, doing it for, like, a nice haggardy reason. Harry like, and Hermione. Yeah, and Ron. And Ron. Like, Umbridge is in charge. He's asking them to 
go into the forbidden, which is a word applied to this forest, (laughs) forest once a week. It's more like the semi-off-limits forest. No, it's forbidden. Like, if Umbridge knew they had gone in, like, that's where they had to go during the Quidditch game. Going in once is incredibly risky. He wants them to do this once a week. Put their lives in danger. Try to do something that's clearly impossible with this creature. And most of all, I mean, so that part is all just like, but that's like kind of par for the course, Hagrid. But what I don't understand is like, do you not understand the stakes of Professor Umbridge? Like, have you not been paying any fucking attention at all? I guess the idea is that it's his family. Hagrid's got this tunnel vision, you know. Uh, it's his connection to his mother. I mean, sure, that's all well and good, but it's not Harry's responsibility to manage that with everything fucking else going on. Right. And it's just really unfair of Hagrid to ask them to put themselves at risk this often for this particular purpose. He's like, I know you'll do anything for me. And they're like, well, you shouldn't take advantage of that to this (laughs) level. Um, This is unfair. Hagrid, you've bailed us out in some scrapes before, man, but, or has he? Mostly they've been bailing out Hagrid. Yeah, he gets them out of Nocturne Alley, but only because he's out here being shady as shit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. Come on, Hagrid. Uh, But, you know, he's very, he's clearly just very distracted at this point. Yeah, I don't think this is like unkind, but I think it's unfair. Yeah. And it's kind of like when people are flaky, And they think that that's sort of like a neutral quality. This is like a complaint I have. But like, this is it kind of reminds me. Like, people are flaky and they think it's kind of a neutral quality. But like, no, that makes you an asshole. And like, (laughs) Hagrid's being an asshole, even though he's not like, doesn't have ill intentions. You don't have to have bad intentions to act like an asshole. Yeah, I think this scene could have ended up on the cutting room floor. I think, yeah, this whole plot element, this whole arc is just like, ugh. Because, like, does Grop even come back? I think, well, I don't remember. I think maybe in Deathly Hallows. But even then, like, Deathly Hallows is doing a lot. I think we could have cut Grop. We get more centaurs, though. Yeah, and the centaur wars are real as shit. Yeah, man. Um, They, like, almost kill Hagrid. It's funny how nonchalant Hagrid is. He's like, okay. But he calls them mules, which is really rude. Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Don't, like, push this. Yeah, but he's really mad at them. Right, for attacking Ferenzi. He thinks they're being really unfair, and he does have a really strong sense of fairness. Hagrid's not a bad guy, but ugh, I'm so annoyed at him a lot of the time. There's like this meme that like Hagrid's like the only good father figure that Harry has. Which like, this is not good father figure behavior. I think Arthur is the only good father figure Harry has. Yeah, Lupin's like, okay. Pretty close. Yeah. Um, Hagrid's like a fun drunk uncle. The centaurs might be my favorite magical creatures so far. They do have a really interesting kind of like ethos and Mm -hmm. belief system. And it seems really coherent in a way that a lot of other magical creatures like I don't really it just doesn't feel as like well drawn. Right. The idea that they no serving humans whatsoever. And that's the worst thing you could possibly do. And they're genuinely menacing. They are, but without being sort of like caricatures. Right. Or evil. They're no, just They're just 
strange. Yeah, they They're have just really their foreign. own motives. Yeah. So I like I like their ambiguity. I think I, uh, I think she's done good work with the centaurs. And they are one of those elements of Harry Potter where you're like, I would I would read their whole mythology. Mm-hmm. Like I would read the like Silmarillion of. Just the centaurs. What's Ferenzi's favorite television show? What? Full House. Why? Full House. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Ferenzi Files. <gasps> That's a good one too. <laughs> uh, I don't think either of those are good jokes. Damn it. But we can leave them in just to see what people think. Oh, man. So just one last thing. This is exactly how Quidditch should be in these books. Introduced briefly, you see the end of the game, you don't have to see any actual Quidditch. Tune in I for love the fourth it. quarter or whatever. Yeah. The snitch catch. Not even that. The like, after the buzzer beater. <laughs> it's all off stage. The one thing Ron accomplishes in this entire book, we see none of. Poor Ron. But it's that's like why he accomplishes it, right? Yeah, because nobody nobody's him. watching. <laughs> oh, poor buddy. Um, who is your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Peeves, who usually gets on my nerves, but I think he's actually used to good effect in this chapter. Uh, one, I love that he salutes the Weasleys, the only ones he ever feared. Uh, he doesn't fear them. He no, just thinks he they're badass. Loves them. The only one he fears is the Bloody Baron. I I think that's so glorious, and I love that he just unleashes a reign of chaotic neutral i don't know i guess it's chaotic good in this case upon the school mcgonagall helps him out in one scene he's like <laughs> unscrewing the chandelier and she's like peeves it goes the other way he traps mrs norris in a co- in a suit of armor multiple, multiple suits, multiple of, suits armor. of armor <laughs> <laughs> he has to be rescued oh. from she has to be rescued from so uh, good. this this is peeves finest hour it's true. It's true. It's kind of sad that Peeves is missing from the films. He's like a interesting little element. Who would have played Peeves in the film? It'd have to be somebody British. I don't know. Martin Freeman. Really? I don't know. I can't think of anyone good. Or Mr. Bean. Rowan Atkinson. That yeah. might have been good. Yeah. I could see Rowan Atkinson being Peeves. Andy Circus could have been Peeves. No, I'm sticking with Mr. Bean. Fair enough. My unsung hero is the entire Hogwarts student body for their admirable performance in just unhinging Dolores Umbridge. (laughs) They heed the charge and they rise to the occasion. And every single one of them deserves like an individual round of applause for this hellscape that they create for her. Yeah, Hogwarts is a failed state at this point. But in this glorious... (laughs) way in this just like oh it's just brought down by pranks i'm not a good prankster so i like really admire those who can really pull off a prank i actually had a whole conversation about this at work today the reason i'm not a good prankster and i feel like this is like a lot of self-knowledge is i really like credit for my work (laughs) so i i can't do something secret and pull it off. I just want to tell people. So I really admire people who have this sort of like fortitude and like sneakiness to do something and no one ever knows it's them and it just like wreaks havoc. I generally cared way too much about the rules in school. So I am living vicariously through 
the twins and the students a bit in these chapters. I pulled pranks in theater. Like on closing night, it was always prank night. So I, I, that's the only time I ever participated in pranks. But I always told people it was me afterwards. Because <laughs> I am a sucker for praise. Give us five stars, please. This week's episode is brought to you by The Portable Swamp. Available now on Diagon Alley. It's not the heat, it's the humidity. <laughs> The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling. You can find us wherever you find podcasts, except annoyingly for Spotify, which hasn't accepted us yet. So like write them stern letters. I don't know if that'll work. Um, But you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever else you look. Please rate and review us if that's an option where you get podcasts. Um, Subscribe. And you can find us on social media at Quibbler Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us e-owls, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from y'all. You have great ideas and lovely selves. Next week, we will be reading the chapters called OWLs and Out of the Fire. Uh, Shit's about to get so real. Shit's been real for a while, but like we're near the denouement here. Ever since Barty Crouch walked in, man. Yep. It's just been up and up and up and up and up. Thanks! Amigos. Fred looked across the hall at the poltergeist bobbing on his level above the crowd. Give her hell from us, peeves! At my signal, unleash hell. <laughs> <laughs>